today's show is pre-recorded, so you won't be able to call in live. However, you can always get your questions answered by going to our website. It's agcoauto.com. Just hit the contact button and send me an email. I'll be glad to get an answer for you. Now, let's join our show. Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We've got every one of our lines wide open, and this is the perfect time to call in. We can get you right at the top of the list, spend a little time answering your question. That's right. Should you happen to think of maybe something after the show goes off the air or right. later on during the week or uh-huh. whenever? You can always send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. You right. Can do that via our website. Yeah, it's very, very simple. Just go to the website, and there's a contact bar on in the menu on every single page and also at the bottom of the screen on every page. Just hit contacts, a little form you fill out, ask for your name and what kind of car you got, how many miles you got on, a couple options like that. Fill that out, send it to me, and I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> Even when the shop's on vacation. That's right, and lots and lots and lots of other things on there as well. Well, of course, you got vehicle questions, which you can go in. There's well over 800 of those that have already been answered. And that's going to give you a short to the point type of an answer. Correct. And then we've got our detailed topics, which is probably where a real wealth of information is. I put one on there this morning on wheel alignment, and it more or less follows up on last week's. Last week, I wrote one wheel alignment, toe and tracking. Uh-huh. This week, it's on wheel alignment, caster and camber. And it goes really, really in-depth on what is caster, what is camber, why they're there, how do they interact with each other. In other words, a lot of folks think that if you have an alignment and everything is set to specification, everything's going to be good. No, that's not true. Not so. (laughs) And unless you read that article, you're not going to know why. But see, specification is a wide range. It may be a degree or more wide. What a trained technician does is sets things within that Based on a number of factors, number one is a test drive. How much offset does he need to make the car drive straight? Number two is how the tires are wearing prior to the alignment. Mm -hmm. Because every car will be within specifications, but they're going to be different points within the specification. Exactly. Maybe higher to the top, lower to the bottom. And the relationship of one wheel to the other will also be different on every car. Because you're custom setting the alignment. That's what alignment is. That is what a technician does. Otherwise, you could just have a machine you plug in and it would do it. Right. <laughs> Both of us know that don't work. <laughs> Tell you what, I hear it at least once a week. Yeah. Car still pulls and it's in spec. That's right. So It's not set right. Just not aligned right. So anyway, that'll explain to you why that is. Lots and lots of good information. And there's tons of other ones as well. One on transmission leaks and on and on and on. In fact, I've received a number of emails lately that said our Articles seem to be getting better and better, so I'm not trying to brag on myself, but I've been putting a lot of effort into that. So I think you ought to go in there and at least peruse around and see what you think. Lots of good information. www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone line with Burl. Good morning, Burl. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I spoke to you last week about power fluid change. Okay, yes, sir. I haven't I done it yet. Okay. But you said extract it and fill it three times. Yes, sir. Okay, you're co-host there said run motor for to turn the wheel yes sir okay do you Back do that forth. after excuse me do you do that after every fill yes sir yes sir yes sir okay and well how far do you turn the wheel just well you don't want to go all the way to the stop and hold it and, and bear down on it but from one extent to the other okay kind of but continually huh yes just slowly and continually if you jerk the wheel real fast you can just air into the system, which is going to give you problems. Well, I had suspected that. Yeah, you, you know. want to just slowly turn it all the way to a stop, but don't hold it against the stop because no, when you do that, you when you get to the stop, just make yeah, go just back. go back right. the other way, very very slowly. And what that does, it allows the fluid to circulate through the rack and pinion and through the yeah. hoses. Okay, and that's boring. 
<laughs> well, it just depends how you look right, at I mean, it. Well, I always it. thought it was pretty entertaining myself. Yeah, but, do, it, do, it, do it continual for that 10 minutes? No, no, it doesn't take 10 minutes, but you need to do it probably about 10 times. I'm sorry? About oh, 10 times. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, not 10 minutes, no. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm no, no, sorry. You, you know, as you go ahead, suck out the old stuff, put in the new stuff, crank it up, run it about 10 times back and forth, Turn yeah. it off, do it again, and do that three times. Okay. So you know, it may, may take you 30 seconds to a minute to do it 10 times, well, I guess. I understand. But yeah, not I much more than that. I had it mixed up. Yes, sir, okay. but that's going to purge the vast majority of the fluid. You can never, ever get 100%. Oh, I can uh, This is just a, But it's not necessary to get 100%. Yeah, this is just a maintenance. It's, that's correct. It's not giving me any problems. That's correct. I got 100,000 miles. Oh, so. yeah. It's good maintenance. It's cheap. It's something yeah. you can do yourself. And that's it's something high, most no people high. don't. Even think of the power steering fluid. Right. That's right. one of the most well, missed fluids until, under the hood. Until the pump goes out or the rack goes out. Then That's they it. Think then they it. think about it. Well, since I know how to do it, you want to give me a job? There you go. You want a job? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, All man. All right, sir. And y'all have a good weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank Bye-bye. you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive aisle, we would love to have you. Come, come on, on by, by, huh? That's right. Just come on by. We'll <laughs> line you up and answer your questions. <laughs> Do it in person or on the phone. There you go. Of course, it might be a whole lot easier to call in. Yeah. Than to come yeah, down you have me running in and out. Door yeah. here in the hallway That's answering right. question. There you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> I have people all the time. I said, when do y'all do that radio show? Do you do that from the shop? I said, no, no. We do that from the studio. Yeah, every Saturday house. morning. That's right. That was a good question about the power steering fluid. And I think, like you said, that's probably one of the most overlooked fluids on a car. It is. It really is because you don't think about it. Yeah. You, know, you use it every day. Every uh-huh. time you get in the car, that's you're right. using it. And a lot of times they're hidden away. Or there's a reservoir that sits off to the side. Mm-hmm. You don't think about changing the fluid in it. Most right. people think about changing the oil, right. changing the transmission fluid, right. and checking the brake fluid. Right. That's the three most checked fluids under the hood. Mm-hmm. The power steering fluid gets forgot about. And it what does. happens is it dissipates the mm-hmm. additives in it, and it doesn't work as well. Right. The seal well, conditioners all start to go away, so your seals get hard. Right. Next thing you know, you got a leak. And, and if you're having to add power steering fluid, you have a leak somewhere. That's a problem. Yeah. It, because that is a closed system, and it's not going to, the level's not going to change in it. Right. Power steering is like most things on your car. It shouldn't require regular addition of fluid. Exactly. It's sort of like your coolant. You should never have to add coolant. It's a sealed system. It's not going to evaporate. It's not going to go away. If you're having to add coolant to your car, there's a leak somewhere. There's a leak somewhere. That's right. And the same thing with power steering fluid. It's not going to use power steering fluid. Now, I guess the one exception is always an exception that makes every rule, but brake fluid is going to go down over time because as the brake pads and shoes wear, the cylinders are going to expand, which is going to take additional fluid in. Exactly. So your brake fluid level will drop a certain amount, but if it starts dropping a lot, then it's a problem also because you got a leak. So... Anytime your brake fluid level drops, you want to at least check the brakes because at very least you've probably got some worn brake pads or worn brake shoes. Exactly. And you could possibly have a leak. But like you said, the first time folks think about power steering is they get one day and either they turn the wheel and it's hard to turn or they turn the wheel and it starts going. Making noise. Or they see a big puddle under the car. Right. And now it's turned into a very expensive problem because most rack and pinion units today are probably 400 on up to maybe eight $900 just for the part. And then there's several hours labor to change them. Some of them take up to three to four hours just to get it in and out of. Some plus, of them are less. But plus an alignment. Plus another front end alignment because when you change the rack and pinion, you got to change all that. And then there's a pump and there's some hoses and there's other components. Right. So very expensive thing also on a lot of your toyota and lexus some of the vehicles the power steering pump also runs the cooling fans they have hydraulic cooling fans on some of those exactly 
which adds even more expensive components to the system. So not a bad idea at all to go ahead and change that fluid out every so often. Just make sure you use correct fluid for the, the application. Correct fluid for the application, and it's something most people could easily do themselves. Oh, easily. And save a whole lot of money. Let's see if we can catch some of our phone lines. Here we got John online. Good morning, John. Uh, yes, sir. I've got an 06 F-150 Ford yes, with sir. a 4.6 liter V8. Okay. Got 75,000 miles uh-huh. on it. And I'm getting a click and a clang when I put it in drive or reverse after I start it. Okay. And it seems, you know, sounds like something's bouncing around or like a rock spinning around on a fan or something. Really? And I've had had uh, hard start problems with this truck since I bought it. Mm-hmm. But I've discovered if you turn, if you turn the key on mm-hmm. twice and just let yes, it sit sir. there for mm-hmm. a second, it'll start right up. Yes, sir. But my issue right now is I've got this cling-clang when I put it in drive or mm-hmm. reverse after I first start it. What does the noise sound like it's coming from, John? Is it behind you? It sounds like it's directly up under me. Up under you? I would first suspect a bad U-joint. Because they've had a number of problems with that on that truck. They've also had a number of problems with the rear differential gears wearing out on them. So much so that Ford's revised the spec on the oil that they use in the rear end, and they've come out with a replacement gear set to address that. What you could do, if you can get someone to sit in the truck, put their foot firmly on the brake, you lay down kind of outside the truck, because you don't want anybody running over you, obviously, but just look on the truck and look at that drive shaft, when they move it from reverse to drive and see if the shaft is clunking back and forth, like it's got a bunch of slack in it. Okay. In other words, if you see the yoke on the transmission move, but the shaft does not move a whole bunch, it's probably the U-joint. If the entire shaft turns a good deal and the rear differential doesn't, it's probably in the rear differential. Now, you could also, if you had a lift, of course, you could get it up and you can lock the brakes, get in there and turn the shaft by hand and accomplish it a little bit better. But Ford has had more than a little bit of trouble with both of those issues. The original truck came with 75W90 gear oil in the rear end because Ford was trying to increase the fuel mileage by putting a thinner oil in. What they've done is they've backed off on that and they've come out with a 75W140 oil rating and it protects it a little bit better. And they have made a replacement gear set available at a much reduced price. They didn't recall it like they should have. They don't give it to you for free, but they did reduce the price on the parts. Gear set from Chevrolet or Chrysler is probably eight, 900 bucks, and Ford's selling this one for about 250 bucks. So they know they got a problem. Right, okay. Now what about the hard start? Have y'all had any mini oh, issues yeah. with Ford? Oh, absolutely. It's like oh, yeah. hard to start? Constantly. They got the goofiest setup on that thing. John, what they've got is an electronic module that controls the fuel pump. And what it does, instead of putting a mechanical regulator on the fuel rail like everybody else in the world, some rocket scientists decide to put a sensor on the fuel rail with a little module back there that controls the speed of the fuel pump, and it doesn't work very good. It bleeds, the pressure bleeds back to the tank, doesn't have fuel available. But like you said, if you cycle ignition a couple of times, it usually starts right up. The fix is probably worse than the problem. Oh, really? Yeah. What would be the fix? <laughs> New fuel pump and or possibly module. Okay. All right, well, I'll give it a whirl. If not, I'll bring it in. Okay, John. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Warren, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. Travel my way. Take the highway. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from Chicago to L.A. More than two thousand miles all the way. 
Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to forty years, partner. Go! Forty years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. And we've got Warren's been patiently holding. Good morning, Warren. Good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I've got a Gallant, Mitsubishi Gallant mm-hmm. 2000. And the, the carpet on the driver's side stays wet when the air conditioner's running okay. in the summertime. And mm-hmm. I put it in the shop twice, and they claim they back blue the yeah. rain line, I guess. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. no avail. It's still... Well, let me ask you this, Warren. When they do blow that out, does it stop for a little while and then come back, or does it just never help? It, it helps for a little while. Okay. And then yeah, that's fairly common, Warren. And what happens is that it's got a relatively small drain on there. So when you start to get debris, it will go down and plug that drain up. Now, when you blow it out, all you do is blow the trash back up into the case. So as soon as it starts dripping, immediately it's going to start trying to clog the drain up again, and sooner or later it's going to clog it up again. I guess the fix... If there's a fix, you'd either have to go in and try to modify that drain, maybe make it a little bit bigger, or you're going to have to get in, pull the blower motor and stuff out, and clean the entire inside of that case. Because as long as it's full of debris, dust, and what have you, it's just going to keep plugging up. What you do is treating a symptom when you're blowing it out. And what's even worse is that when they're blowing it out, they're blowing everything back up into the area where it's coming out of. Right. You see, they're just blowing it back into the drain. Well, it's a pan in there under the evaporator core. The evaporator core is dripping constantly because it's taking moisture out the car. That's what makes you comfortable. It's removing humidity. It builds up this pan. Well, as it goes out to the drain, it's going to pick up this debris, and eventually it's going to plug that hole back up again. Okay. So what I would try to do is first look at it and see if there's a way to possibly enlarge that drain a little bit because it is relatively small in that car. Not 100% sure there is, but maybe there is. Another thing you can do a lot of times is put a nipple, like a little piece of tubing nipple on that drain. Because what happens when you're going down the road, you got 60, 70 mile an hour wind blowing, and sometimes it can blow into that drain, actually force the water back up into the pan, which makes the situation worse. Chrysler had a real problem with that, and we started putting a little nipple on the end of there, and that helps a great deal. Last thing is, like I said, you can take something like the blower motor out where you can get access to that case, Get and just physically clean it real good. Get all the dust and trash out. Even take a little hose, a little slow, slow running hose, get in there, wash it, and kind of scrub and wash the pan as best you can get to it because it's kind of hard to get to. But yeah. something like that would probably be necessary to affect a more permanent fix. The only other thing you can do is go in there like they've been doing and clean it out every so often and just put up with it. Yeah, okay. Well, it's definitely been a problem. So oh, I yeah, guess, uh, yeah, it, yeah, it is. Okay. But I think if you try maybe get a little rubber nipple or something or get somebody to put a little rubber nipple on it, that's helped us with a lot of them when they have a continuing problem. 
Okay. All right. Well, that sounds. I might try that then. I yeah. Appreciate try. It. Thank you. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? The dripping of water into the cars, that's kind of a, I guess, some cars have more trouble with it than others, but it's sort of a universal problem across the board. It's more or less a problematic system. It really is because of what it's doing. And what the car companies did back in the 90s is they started putting a cabin filter on the intake air so that it would filter the air to keep the debris out of the pan and prevent and the problem, of, which was an absolutely excellent idea. Every other air conditioner in the world, the one at your house, has the one at your office, always has a filter. Right. Well, it was a really good idea to do it, but they didn't do a very good job at all of telling people these were in there. So the vast majority of people would not change them, and then they would end up clogging up the filter, and, of course, it wouldn't blow or burn the blower motor up. Then along... I guess in the mid-2000s, they went through this big old cut where they wanted to try to brag about how low the maintenance was on their cars. So, so they took them out. They just took them out. Now, right. you know, yeah, we take that off our maintenance schedule, so therefore it's cheaper to keep our cars. <laughs> They've done that with just part after part after part. You know, they took the fuel filters off, put them in the tank. That right. way you can't have it on the maintenance schedule, so it makes our maintenance schedule look better. Gotcha. It's not in anybody's best interest because the filter is a sacrificial element that protects the rest of the system. So we're just going to take it off, and that way we can say we cut our maintenance costs. <laughs> Same thing with the, with the cabin air filters. The vast majority of your American manufacturers have discontinued them. I know like on Chevrolet, I think in 03, they quit putting them in the pickup trucks and the Suburbans and stuff. Yeah. Toyota still uses them quite a bit. Most of your Toyotas and Hondas still have them. I tell you, it's a great idea. It is. and you, I mean, how often do you see a Toyota Honda dripping on the floor? Not hardly. Almost ever. You know, almost never. And that's really more of a problem with American cars than anything else. Right. Some of your Jap cars, like your Mitsubishi and all, don't have the cabin filter in there, and you're going to have that problem. Now, one thing, too, if you allow the cabin filter to plug up completely, it will make that problem even worse. Oh, exactly. Because now you're not getting enough airflow through to keep it dried out. So Right, it, it builds up. And- that's true with any type of filter. Filter is a sacrificial element. What it's doing is it's basically giving its life to protect other Something things. more expensive. Something better and more expensive. Right. Whether it's a transmission filter or a fuel filter or an air filter or anything else, by doing its job, it's going to plug up, which means it's going to have to be changed. Exactly. Uh, if you got a filter that doesn't ever plug up, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Guy asked me one time, he says, man, why don't they make an oil filter that, that would filter out smaller particles? Because most oil filters take out a 45-micron particle, but most damage is done by particles in the 3-micron range. Right. So why don't they make a filter to take out three micron particles? I said, well, they could do that, but you'd either have to change it every week or it'd have to be as big as a car. Right. (laughs) And people don't even change the ones that they got now. So what it is, they compromise, say, well, we're going to make the holes bigger in it. So it will take out some of the stuff, but it won't plug up too often because... If it plugs up, it bypasses and doesn't do anything at all. It does absolutely no good at all. There is a bypass on your oil filter, and that's another problem with these extended oil changes. People will put a certain kind of oil in there and say, oh, man, I can go 25,000 miles. Well, that's great. The oil will make it that far. It might. It might. But the liquid contaminants are going right through the filter and that's right. eating the engine alive. And the other debris and stuff that's going into the filter, if it plugs that filter, then the bypass is going to open, so you're getting unfiltered oil in the engine for However many thousand miles. That's right. Well, <laughs> and my question has always been to the people who say that is, why? What have you gained? You saved a couple of oil changes, and you're risking a 
$10,000 engine. Right. Then the, the risk reward is just not there, you know? Exactly. They had to justify it because the price of the, the synthetic <laughs> is so expensive. Well, that's right. And you know, I would really much rather see a man run conventional motor oil and just change it a little more often. I think oh, you're sure. way better off. Because the only way to get the liquid contaminants out of your engine is a drain. Is a drain and fill. That's right. Or if you drive it a long enough period of time, the temperature of the oil rises to a certain point. Those are going to boil off. They're, They're going to turn to steam, and the PC system will suck them out. Well, that's right. great. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's exactly right. I was talking to a fella at the shop Friday, I think it was, he picked his vehicle up, and he was asking me about oil changes, and he says he's never had any kind of oil-related problem, but he goes almost 100 miles a day. Right, 50 miles there, 50 miles back. Yeah, that's, that's perfect driving for an automobile. 100 miles a day on his, on his vehicle, and he's going 6,000, 7,000 miles on all changes. So I'm not having any trouble. Well, you're not going to have any trouble. Right, because that's, the system's working like it's supposed that's right, to. right, ideal conditions. But the vast majority of folks drive three to five miles per trip as exactly. far as they go. Myself, I get up in the morning, I go to work. It's about five miles. Then the car sits there all day long. In the afternoon, I crank it up and drive it back home. Then it sits all night. Five miles at a time. That all never gets to operating temperature long enough to boil out the liquid. That is severe conditions. Severe conditions. And that's the conditions most people are under. They get up, they go to the grocery store, they go to church, they go to the beauty shop, they right. go wherever they're going. Little short runs. Little short trips because most people don't like doing business 25 miles from the house, obviously. Yeah. So you're going to get a little routine of places you go. And that is a real problem, particularly for retired folks who don't go to work every day because. Most time they have built a little routine of convenience for themselves, which is exactly what I would do myself. Uh -huh. But they found all the places nearby that can do the things they want to do, so they never really go very far. Right, and, and sometimes they don't go every day. Yeah, and very often they've got two cars because there's generally a man and a wife. Right. And they both want to have a car, which I understand that as well. But the point is, if you don't drive it very much at all, that you got to know that is severe conditions. So you got to go to the severe schedule. Right, because even these insane manufacturers that tell you you can go 7,000 miles on all change will say under severe conditions it's three. All right. Even they're, they say that. They're here to sell you another car. Well, that's true. You know, <laughs> they want to sell you another car. That's absolutely true. They don't want you to keep your old one. Let's see if we can catch Glenn before the break. Good morning, Glenn. Yes, Good sir. morning. I heard you talking about cabin air filter. Yes, sir. I have a 09 Hyundai Elantra. Yes, sir. Uh, it's in the back of the glove compartment. Okay. Is that a difficult thing to change yourself? Mm -hmm. I haven't actually worked on a Hyundai. Yeah, we I'm don't not real sure do if a dr great number of those at it all. It should be listed out in the manual, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah generally the owner's manual will tell you how to get to it. Most yeah. of the time, they're not too terribly hard. I mean, they're designed to where you can change it. It's not like changing an air filter where you just take a bolt off and it's right there, but they're usually not overly difficult. Yeah, it, it tells me how. I just wondered if it takes them rattle loose and let the glove compartment door come down yes uh -huh. sir exactly if you kind of push in on you know take it open your door but don't put it all the way against the stop and just push in those little rods and generally it'll flop on down all the way then you can reach up in there and get to it and like i said i haven't worked on enough hyundai's to tell you for sure we do some alignments on them we do some brakes on them and all that but i don't do a lot of maintenance on them but i can't imagine it being too difficult now if it's something you just don't want to fool with yourself you can bring it into the shop we can do it for you it would be a very minimal charge to do it Okay. Because it's, it's not a real difficult thing to do. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more.
Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Louis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Louis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry, lead tech from Agco Automotive. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. If you haven't troubled your old car, just give us a call. Glad to try to give you some advice, point you in the right direction. Get you going again. That's right. And a lot of times, that's really all a person needs to save a considerable amount of money is just a little piece of advice. I know a lot of times folks who come into the shop who have things have more or less gotten out of hand for them. Uh -huh. They've done something and it turned to something else and turned to something else. And looking at that problem or analyzing the problem, you can see a point where if they just got a little bit of proper advice at one point, it could have saved them thousands of dollars. And you know, you said the right thing there. Mm -hmm. Proper advice. Yeah, because so much There's misinformation. So much, there is. There's a whole lot of well, just wrong information. With the internet, it's made information vastly, vastly available to everybody. But what you got to remember when you're going on the internet just because somebody says it's so, don't make it so. Oh, exactly. Who is this speaking? Because I have perused through different forums and stuff, and I see people touting absolutely wrong advice mm -hmm. quite frequently. And all the folks on that forum are like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. But who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> that you, you don't know. What's his qualifications? And you don't know any of these things. So you have to make sure that you're getting the right kind of advice because, boy, if you get the wrong piece of advice, you can just really, really go off and spend a ton of money on stuff you don't need. I had a good customer who emailed earlier this week, and he was asking me about a Volvo code. And, of course, told him, well, I don't work on European cars as uh -huh. far as check engine lights, so I'm not real familiar with it. But it was a some kind of a fuel pressure circuit code, fuel pressure sensor circuit code. And he was saying, well, you think we should change the fuel pump or change? Oh, well, a circuit code is generally going to involve something electrical exactly. and not the pressure side of it. Exactly. Because if it still runs good and you're not getting any additional codes, like, for instance, you're not getting a lean code or a rich code, you're not cutting out, you're not hard to start or any of that, chances are the fuel pressure is good. This is a circuit code. Mm -hmm. Now, a circuit code can come from totally unrelated things. I know on Fords, they'll set a fuel pump circuit code if the DPFE sensor's bad. Right. Totally unrelated, has absolutely nothing to do with it. But when that sensor shorts out, freaks the computer out, the first thing it throws out is some circuit codes. And you can only imagine how many fuel pumps get changed oh, because man. of that. I mean, you can go in there and start changing parts. And 
I mean, you can really spin yourself into oblivion and never even get close to the original problem. And maybe even create additional problems on top of what you had originally. Well, that's right. As you well know, the situation with parts today is just absolutely deplorable. Oh, it is. It's terrible. Even if you're buying name brand premium parts from the OEM manufacturer, you're going to have a lot of problems. And we send, what, two or three back a week? Oh, at least, yeah. I forgot the exact numbers on it, but it's probably close to 15% of all the brand new parts come in don't even meet their specs. Right. Not even close. Airflow meters on General Motors cars, we were checking those. You'd have to go through three or four of them to find one to even test out to meet their specs. Right. Brand new out the box from General Motors. Now, if you go and buy this white box junk from a parts store, there's no telling it's what you're going to probably get. close to seventy or eighty percent of it doesn't meet yeah. your specs. And you put it on, and then well, you, you still say, got okay, the same problem. You put that on, you still got the same problem because the parts bad. You say, well, that's not it. So let me go change this, 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 this. Right. Well, now you're going to spend a thousand dollars on other stuff that you didn't need. Eventually, you throw your hands up, you tow it in the shop, and they say, well, it's this part. No, that's a new part. Well, guess what? Yeah, <laughs> it's a bad part's part. Parts bad. And it's possible. It's very you, possible. Well, we see it all the time. The average dude itself has absolutely no way to test the part. No. How would you test an airflow meter? Unless you've got a digital lab scope and you know what the pattern's supposed to look like and you that's, know how to test it. That's it. And on and on and on and on and on, you have no way to test it. So all you can do is put it on and then you assume it's good, which is a very, very dangerous assumption in this world today. That's it. And same situation with rebuilt parts we see all the time where people will put a part on and they'll say well it's still doing the same well yeah because you put another bad one on there yeah and well i changed it twice well i don't care how many times <laughs> <I changed it. laughs> yeah. it's still only putting out 100 pounds and it's got to put out 600 pounds to have power steering exactly or, or whatever the, the part might be so the thing is you just really 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 up against it unless you've got a awful lot of knowledge and the proper equipment and the knowledge to use the equipment because mm-hmm. I could give the average person every piece of equipment we got at ACO and they still couldn't fix the car. Because well, they don't know it. how to use it. They don't have the knowledge. They don't know how the system's supposed to work. Right. And without all of that information, it is just way, way, way cheaper to bring it to someone who knows what they're doing, have them diagnose the problem. Then if you want to fix it, that's fine. Take it home and fix it yourself. Uh-huh. But bring it to someone who can tell you what it is because the only purpose in diagnosis is because it's way cheaper than swapping out parts. Sure. And, you know, we have took a Toyota and we took a Chevrolet, mm-hmm. put them side by side and created the same problem mm-hmm. on them. That's right. And got two different codes out of Well, that's right. One of them, the Chevrolet, is going to send an airflow meter code because it's got too much air going into it. It's not the amount the sp- airflow meter is supposed to have. Right. The Toyota sets an oxygen sensor code because it says the mix is too lean. So and that's about, not the problem with either one of them. That's it's a right. vacuum leak. <laughs> so you go put four oxygen sensors on this car and you go you buy got- some of those cheap junk white box yeah, sensors. Well, now you do have a problem because yeah. you're not reading right. Now it starts throwing out catalytic converter codes and everything else because the oxygen sensors aren't working. Exactly. So on and on and on you, you go. You've I remember, got to know how the the, pro, the systems are programmed because the Chevrolet is not programmed the same way as a right. Toyota. Well, or, two Chevrolets are not programmed. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Dr. Deming always said, you can't dig yourself out of a pit with a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> All you do is dig yourself deeper in. That's it. Let's go to our phone line with Bruce. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, sir. sir. Good morning. Earlier you were talking about uh, talking to some man about power steering. Yes, sir. Uh huh. Of course, there's all kinds of brand names. Do you necessarily need to get it from the dealer? No, so you just need to use the right thing because some of them use power steering fluid. Some of them use ATF, whether it's Dextron or Mercon or whatever. And some of them use their own special power steering fluid. For instance, a Honda has their own Honda brand power steering fluid, which is different from everything else. General Motors is generally going to use power steering fluid 
Ford uses a combination of either power steering or ATF. Chrysler does the same thing. Toyota uses ATF and just mm -hmm. about everything they got. So you got to just make sure you're getting the right thing that goes in it. And a lot of them are going to give you like a GM part number, but it's just regular power steering fluid. You can generally read on the back of the bottle of the fluid you buy, and it'll say meets GM spec, yeah, 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 yeah. And as long as that's the case, then that's good. But most of your General Motors products are going to take just regular power steering fluid. It's more or less like a 10-weight oil is, is what a, they're using. How about a Ford? Ford could either be power steering fluid or Mercon ATF, depending on which one it is. Basically, if you pull the stick out and it's red, it's going to be Mercon. If you pull the stick out and it's clear, it looks like all, it's going to be power steering fluid. And it'll generally say on the cap, use Mercon 5 or use Mercon such and such, or it'll say use power steering fluid. Okay, so, uh, if it says large... use power steering fluid on a Ford, it'll be just regular power steering fluid. It don't have any specific fluids. Okay, so uh, as long as it doesn't matter what brand you buy, as long as it's compatible with what you got. That's exactly, exactly. right. And, and the owner's manual should tell you that. It should, yes, sir. And we use the Mercon 5 in all of the Fords that take Mercon fluid. And Mercon is a synthetic base. Right. Mercon 5 is a synthetic fluid. So it's fine. It holds up a little bit better. It supersedes all the other. You, know, you started out with Mercon back in the 60s, I guess, and it went Mercon 3, 4, 5 on up. Each one supersedes the last one. It exceeds it. Uh, so if you're using Mercon, yes, they're all yes, compatible. Sir. If you use Mercon 5, it's going to basically exceed the, the requirements of any of the other ones. All righty. Okay, all right. Thank you. All right, sir. Thank you. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. We're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldezan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Louis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You them up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altzan, president of Agco Automotive. I got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here with me. Between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Go ahead and give us a try. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, turn the mic on. Now, now, All you, right. got, now you got the Aldazan syndrome. <laughs> Forget what button to push, man. <laughs> I've been doing this show, I think, since 1991, and I still push the wrong, wrong button. button. Every week. Yeah. Every week I push the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get it down, though. You think? You bet. <laughs> That's right. Let's go back to our phone. I've got Floyd online. Good morning, Floyd. Yes, good morning. Yes, good sir. Good morning. Yeah, I'm trying to do some brakes on a Lexus. Okay. 
GX 470. Yes, sir. And I was curious as to what are the best paths for this. Go back to Lexus buy theirs. Buy theirs. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> there, there's absolutely nothing even close to as good, and they're uh-huh. fairly reasonably priced. Oh, okay. Those pads should come with all the clips and retainers. It's going to come with a packet of grease. Right. Uh-huh. The grease goes on the back of the brake pad on the steel side. Right. Mm-hmm. Between the shim and the right. pad. And then on the back of the shim between the shim and the caliper. Right. So, okay. So, so make it, sure it gets on there. Excellent, excellent, excellent pad. Much, much superior to anything else out there. They don't squeak. They don't squeal. They last a long time. They, they don't, ain't going to walk the rotors. The rotors. You go buy those junk aftermarket pads, and six months from now, yeah. you'll get a bad shake when you hit the brakes. Now you got to buy two rotors. Plus another set of pads. And another right. set of pads. And the right pads. Yeah. A set of Lexus pads probably be in the 60 to $70 range, which is right in line with everybody else's. Yeah. They're well worth it. Yeah. Well, well, well worth going. We don't use anything but the original equipment pad. Much, okay. much, much better product. One last thing, too, Floyd. If you're not replacing the rotors on the car, if they don't need replacing, what you need to do is get some hot, soapy water and wash those rotors down real good on both sides okay. and then right. clean them off, dry them, and put them all back together because there's a certain amount of dust and stuff that comes from the old pad and kind of bonds itself to the face of that rotor. So uh-huh. you want to clean those rotors up. That way, you, when you get your new pad, you don't have that, any cross-contamination. Okay. All right. We right. appreciate it. Thank All you right, very Floyd. Much. Thank you, All man. Right now. Bye-bye. All right. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Toyota and Honda, I find, they are very reasonable on their maintenance parts. Uh-huh. Some of their stuff, like their electrical parts, man, they're, they're right up there with everybody else. Right. But when it comes to their maintenance-type parts, I guess they're trying to encourage maintenance. I don't know, but they're pretty reasonable on that stuff. I bought a set of brake pads for a Chevy... What was it? 06 Silverado? Yeah, 06 Silverado the other day. $229 for a set of brake pads. That's right. They did come with the clips. Yeah. And they did come with the, uh, the replacement little, bolts. They ought to come with a little guy to put them on. <laughs> <laughs> but I can remember not very long ago, I guess five, six years ago, when those pads were in the 50 to $60 range yeah. on the older trucks, these don't look that much different, and they're 200 plus. Most Ford brake pads are a hundred plus. Yeah, Chrysler same way. Man, they are just ridiculous on that stuff. Most of your Honda original equipment pads fifty to seventy dollars, and most of your Toyota fifty to seventy dollar range. Uh, they, even your Lexus, yeah, seventy dollars. And, and they a, come with everything. Comes with everything, and it's an excellent, excellent product. Just never really have any trouble out of those. No, not hardly ever have any trouble. Mm-hmm. So always check. Because a lot of people have this misconception in their mind that, well, yeah, I would like to use original parts, but it just costs so much. I'm going to have to save some money. I'm going to go to this other junk. Well, number one, you're not going to save any money because you're going to have to eventually go back and get the right stuff anyway uh-huh. because your wife is going to rag on you until you do because the brakes are squealing and shaking and carrying on. That's it. So you end up doing it right anyway. But why throw away all the money on this junk first plus wipe out a set of rotors yeah, and for no you know, reason? Most of your do-it-yourselfers are on mm-hmm. a weekend. When everybody else is closed except the cheap parts houses. Right. So well, you got to kind of you got to kind of expect that if you're going to use your dealer to well, get some parts. And you know what you want to do. Most of them are open on Saturday for a few hours. Some of them are open Saturday mornings, and if not, what you can always do one Saturday, go ahead and pull the wheels off, see what all you need, make yourself a list. Then during the week, run on by there and pick up your parts. Exactly. Because well, a lot of them are open way after 5 right. o'clock. Right. Well, well worth the little inconvenience of doing that. Oh, most me. definitely. 
You'll save yourself a lot of aggravation later down the road with it. Oh, sure. That's one of the biggest things that I know we at AGCO, we have solved so many problems by doing nothing more than taking off a bunch of junk aftermarket stuff and putting the right OEM parts on. That's right. Straighten it out, and it's, it's done. That's right. You know, now costs, the problem solved. costs a little more up front, right. but you don't have the aggravation later. And not always. Sometimes I've, I've seen where the original part was less than the aftermarket part. Uh-huh. I don't want to paint all aftermarket parts with a broad brush because there are some aftermarket parts which actually exceed the OEM part. Oh, most definitely. Particularly on American cars. Yeah. There's a company out there that takes a component and they find the flaws in it. Right. And re-engineer it to get rid of the flaws. Well, sure. And it's a whole lot better than what you're going to buy from the dealer. That's right. Well, like Moog front end parts, for instance. Moog is one of those companies that in their premium line, those parts are better than the original equipment part. Oh, definitely. Now, you got to watch, too. Moog has started making a second line now that for some other people, if you look on it, it'll say made by Moog. Right. But it's not the premium line. It's some kind of imported so truck they're sticking their name on. Right. Like everybody else is getting in on that bandwagon. And that's not a really, in my opinion, not a, a true Moog part. But there's several companies. We see that a lot on automatic transmissions where, like, GM has the 4L60E, which has a number of known problems. Uh-huh. If you get 120,000 miles out of one of those transmissions, you've done pretty darn good because the reaction shell breaks in them. Well, you lose second gear, you lose reverse. That is a such a common issue that there are companies who have come out with a billet steel reaction shell to fix that problem. Right. Now, GM has been using the same part since 1982. Yeah, when they first came out with that transmission. Yeah, and it's still putting it in there. They still break, and it's a spun well part, which means they took two pieces, they pushed them together, they spun them until they got hot and welded itself together. Right. Or gristled up together. Just about every one of them at some point in time, wham, it breaks. You lose second gear, you lose reverse. Here it comes towing it in. Well, we know what that is. Well, a lot of them go out before the reaction shell breaks. Yeah. Some, and some when, they, will break in. when they get rebuilt, they get the updated reaction well, shell. Well, that's right. If you go to a shop that's doing a quality rebuild, they're going to put the updated parts. I know every one we do, if we do a 4L60E, it's getting a billet steel reaction shell. Exactly. Along with a five-gear planetary, it's going to get aluminum accumulator pistons instead of the plastic ones that GM use constantly. Right. It's going to be a much better unit well, that's than right. it was originally. Well, that's why we give you a three-year, 50,000 mile warranty on our transmissions because you're not ever going to have to see you again for that car. Right. We can fix all those problems. we got a long-standing track history. We know what's going to break. Oh, yeah. So do a rebuild. It's more than just go in and change the parts that are now broken. You also change the parts you know are going to break. Exactly. I've seen those cars come in with 50,000 miles on them, whining because the front sprags come apart. Well, at that point, you put a sprag in it, you put some seals in it, but you also go ahead and change the reaction shell, change the planetary that's going to tear up. Well, sure. Change all the parts you know are going to break. Well, now you got a transmission that lasts you 300,000 miles. Exactly. Or more. Or more. So <laughs> let's go back to our phone lines. Got Russ on line. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, sir. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. Quick question. I have a 2004 Explorer. Uh-huh. About a month and a half ago, the check engine light came on. Okay. We had it checked. There was a number three misfire. Okay. Changed the plug. Uh-huh. Changed the wires. Uh-huh. And it was still doing so. Changed the rotor. Trip well, rotor. Yeah, that's not going to be it, though. Well, it stayed off about a month. It may go off for temporarily, but if it's the rotor, it's not going to miss on one cylinder because okay. you got the same rotor going around every cylinder. Right, okay. So, you know, if, if the rotor's bad, it's got to miss. It can't miss on one cylinder. Are you getting any other codes with that, Russ? No, like a lean right code? See, that's the problem with a code reader. It's not going to tell you all that. What you need is a forward scan tool, and you can go into what they call mode six, and you can see what they call the fuel trim and all that. 
chances are if you're getting rich fuel trim in other words the engine is attracting fuel well now we got a misfire in the ignition somewhere because every time it misfires an extra charge of gas goes into the cat and that's what sets that code if you got lean fuel trim on it well now we're looking at a fuel system type problem you could have an injector that's going bad or something like that now the code that's in there now is still the po 300 yes sir uh 303 rather yeah 303 what yeah, i would like do that. next on that thing russ if you're pretty handy is pull the injector on cylinder number three and move it to like number one and put number one and number three okay and then go drive it and see if the code still comes back on three or if it moves to one okay if it moves to number one change the injector Okay. Because we've okay. changed a number of injectors on those. But you don't want to just go buy a $100 injector for no reason. So that's okay. a way you can test it. You see, it's pretty easy. It may take you half an hour, 45 minutes to swap those injectors. If it does not move, the next thing you need to do is check compression on that cylinder. Okay. Make, make sure you got good compression on that cylinder because you could have something like a valve spring that's broken or bad or a cylinder that's getting weak or any number of internal engine problems that can also cause that kind of thing. Okay. So that's a couple of simple tests for you, and that'll narrow it down considerably. Yeah, I'll start with the... the Injector, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was your first switch them around. Okay, man. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Russ. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. we still got a couple of minutes if you want to try to get in. I also want to remind everybody about the website. That is just a great, great resource for folks. And it's not going to give you a specific fix necessarily in order to do this, do this, do this. What it's going to do is explain how things work so that you can figure out what's wrong. Right. In other words, if you know how, say, caster, camber, and toe works, and you've got wear on the outside of your left front tire, now you pretty much know what needs to be done to fix it. Now, obviously, you don't have a line machine. You can't line it yourself. But at least you know whether the guy who's doing the job is doing, doing it right. doing a correct job. Or you need to go find somebody else to do it. By giving you that kind of information, you can figure out for yourself what you need to do, or at least figure out what needs to be done. Yeah, where you need to yeah. go to get it done. And you won't be standing in the dark. At the sales counter going, uh, okay. You know? <laughs> You'll know <laughs> well, what he's actually trying to explain say. to you. Well, not only that, but you can be able to spot a shuckster real easy. Oh, yeah, real quick. Because a lot of guys who are in the automotive business don't know nearly as much about a guy who's going to read this article. That's right. Knows about it. <laughs> so you can go in there and spot a chucklehead really quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself a bunch of grief. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. We'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. That's right. And please refer as many friends as you can. And get a whole list of people listening. That's right. The more we get, the better it is. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.